0: He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us.
1: Thank you so much for that reading. I really appreciate it. Man, I am excited to be here today to talk to you guys. A little bit about myself and my family. My name's Caleb Carter. Oh, and we need to dismiss the children. I was told three times, and I forgot. Children, you are dismissed. Not good on my part. So no, uh, my name's Caleb Carter. I I come from Oklahoma. Uh, My wife, Becky, and our three children... Caden, uh, Haven, and Logan. Uh, we've lived in Oklahoma our whole lives, specifically in Sepulpa for the last six, seven years, uh, where Lance Peterson is our senior minister. He's a good friend of mine. We've been serving together for the last few years, and, uh, and he uh, made the mistake of recommending me to come up here and, uh, and talk to you guys today. So, um, no, I'm really excited, though. Uh, a little bit about my background. Uh, I've been in the oil and gas industry ever since I got out of high school. I started out as a welder. And I uh, worked my way up to uh, manage a, a few different shops. Currently, I work for an oil and gas inspection company, and, uh, and that's what I do for a living. My wife, uh, she works at a, a part-time daycare, and, uh, and she stays home with the kids. And so uh, we've been doing life, I've been going to school, and, and we've been loving it. <clears throat> but today, we're talking about being brilliant on the basics. That's our, that's our, our topic for today. It's a little mysterious, I understand, but I kind of like it like that to make you guys think a little bit. Specifically, we're going to be focusing in on Paul and his letter to the church in Rome. You see, the letter that Paul writes to the church in Rome is, is, is a beautiful, beautiful letter. It's crafted so well. Uh, Paul is a very gifted speaker. He's a very gifted teacher. And if you, if you just read through the first four chapters of this book of Romans, you see this, this foundation that Paul's trying to lay for the Gentiles, for the Jews, for everyone who's coming to the church, he's wanting to make sure that they're starting off right, that there's no misconceptions, that you understand the nature of Christianity and what's being asked and, and the world that you live in. And so if you just glance through it, you see, he tackles the problem of sinfulness. He talks about God's righteousness and his ability to judge righteously. He talks about how nobody is righteous through their acts. He brings up Abraham, who's one of the patriarchs of their family, of their faith, and he talks about how even Abraham was only justified through his faith. So he goes on, and he lays this spread out over the first four chapters, and then in chapter 5 is where we want to focus in today. If you have your Bibles, please keep them handy. Turn to Romans chapter 5, because we're going to be looking at verses 1 and verses 2. In these two verses, if you're just reading the Bible, just kind of going through it like a storybook, you might roll over this huge statement that he makes, and I think it's worth diving into and understanding. You see, Paul Paul goes on after laying out these first four chapters, and he goes, Therefore, since we have been justified through our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So Paul, after going through four chapters, he summarizes it. We now have peace with God. And I love it because it's so simple, it's so basic. It reminds me back when I was 16 years old and I had just enrolled in welding school. I was so excited to be a welder. But my instructor, he had this method of training that he would pick the simplest form of welding and the simplest position and, and he would not let you pass and move on to the next stage until you were proficient. And so I can remember being a 16-year-old boy welding with my stick rod and I'd be excited. I'd take it to him and I'd show him and he'd turn his head and throw it in the trash or he'd make some joke and you'd have to go back to your cell and, and weld some more and hopefully you pass after a few weeks and move on to the next, the next level, Right? Well, one day, Thorpe was actually out of town, and so all the kids, they got to do whatever they wanted that day, and so I remember, I grabbed a piece of pipe, and I grabbed a TIG machine, I took the hardest thing to weld on, and the hardest process, and I, I thought I could do it, I'd seen everybody else do it, so I thought I was ready, and uh, man, I was sticking my tungsten to the, to the pipe, I was blowing holes through it, weld was falling down on my arms, I, was, I burnt my eyes, it was, it was a terrible experience, I was not ready to move on to that next stage though I thought I was. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul's trying to make sure that we have a good foundation before we move on to those deeper, those more in-depth topics that are involved with your Christian faith. Paul's trying to lay this foundation. Unfortunately, I'm a slow learner. And even after welding school, after a few years in the pipeline, it was around the time of the recession, I actually got a job. I was looking for any job selling insurance. I couldn't land a welding job. Um... I had this sales manager, and he was a great Christian man, and, uh, and I had all these different things I was licensed to sell, life insurance, annuities, uh, investments, all these things, and I was trying to sell all this complex stuff because that made lots of money, and it was really fancy, and I would try, and he'd say, Caleb, no, no, focus on life insurance. Caleb, you've got to be brilliant on the basics first. And, and I couldn't wrap my brain around it. I wanted to sell the, the high-end stuff. I wanted to be, you know, I'd go talk to little old ladies, and I'd say, yeah, yeah no there's life insurance, but when you want to put $400,000 in a fixed annuity, I mean, it's 4.5%, right? And, uh, and and they would just check out. They knew I didn't know what I was talking about. They knew I wasn't ready to be making those kinds of sales. And and Bryant would just rub his head, and he'd go, oh, Caleb, you've got to be brilliant on the basics, man. Just focus on insurance first. And that's what Paul's doing. In this passage, here, he's trying to make sure we understand what this means. Because you have to understand that this statement 2,000 years ago would have been rare. Peace with God. Now, understand that in those days, gods were anything but peaceful, they're actually very volatile. It's like dealing with a temperamental teenager. You might wake up one day and your crops are full and they're beautiful and you're ready to harvest and you've made some sacrifices to whatever God you're worshiping, and then wake up the next day and it'll all be on fire and be like, no! What? Why? What did I do? I don't know. Kill some sacrifice. Okay, I'll do it. And you'd go and you'd sacrifice and, and just hope, hope that whatever God you worship was going to just relent and take it easy on you, and then you could find favor again. This was, this was how people dealt with gods 2,000, 3,000 years ago. They had no idea what to expect. But here, Paul's telling these people, now you can actually have a peace with God. That's rare. That's unique. So unique that there's no other religion actually like that. That God says, "This this is how you live. This is who I am. This is why now we can have peace. This concept would have been very difficult to understand. But you're sitting there today and you're looking at me and you go, yeah, no, I get it. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I get that. I, I understand that now I'm forgiven. But but I have to stop and think and wonder a little bit. Have we really accepted that? Do we really, do we really believe in how forgiven we, we truly are? Because that's, that's the question we have to ask ourselves. I think sometimes we tend to forget. Or maybe sometimes... We never really fully grasped it. Like we might have just skipped over a little bit. We, we understood, yeah, 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 I know, I heard you. And then we moved on too soon, kind of like me in my welding class. I think sometimes we have to stop and think about what that gracious act actually meant. And so when we think about today, what it means for us, it means because we can now have peace with God, it means we're free from guilt. We are free from guilt. Nothing else could ever do that and release you from a past, from the present. Nope, Nothing has the power. But that's, that's what Paul is saying here. Because through Christ Jesus, you can now have peace with God. And that concept, I don't think, I don't think we understand it that well. Because I, I talk to Christians and non-Christians alike... And they're, they're troubled by their past. They're haunted by their past. They can't get over things that they have done or that have been done to them. And as I was thinking about that, I think we have some symptoms that kind of come out of our lives. And we can look and say, maybe I do struggle with a little bit of guilt. Maybe I haven't fully grasped what it means to be forgiven. And I think one of the first ways it shows that is we can have a bitterness towards God. Right? And this, is, this isn't just to, to believers, this is to non-believers as well. You see, when we're bitter towards God, we tend to make God into this, this manager, and, and, and he's, he's giving us these tasks, these challenges to live up to, and I can't live up to them. And so when I look at what's being asked of me, the dramatic life, I, I come up short so then I get angry. Uh, this isn't my fault, I can't do this because, because of you, you made me like this. One of the first examples we see in the Bible is in Genesis. What does God do when he finds out that Adam and Eve have sinned in the garden he goes looking for them? And what's Adam's first response? Well, no, it's the, the woman that you made. This is your fault. Don't blame me for her. You made her, right? It's almost this indignant position as if you don't quite grasp it. The second way, the second symptom that we can have is very similar it comes from a response that God is trying to hold you up to a level that you, can't, you just can't manage. But instead of getting angry, you just check out. You ever experienced that before? You ever, you ever been in high school and a teacher like, put a test on your desk and you're like, oof, I got nothing. <laughs> and so then you just kind of like fill in the dots to make a face. You're like, "I pff, might as well have fun because there's no way I'm going to pass this test. That's, that's that other response. You just, you just check out. You look at what's being asked of you, and you're like, no, nah, I'm not even going to try. I know lots of guys that have terrible problems with their mouths, quit, can't quit using bad language, right? And they just, I can't stop. Why even try? It's that same concept. You just check out. We see a great example of this with the, uh, the rich young ruler. He goes to Jesus, right? And he says, hey, I've kept all the commands. What else do I need to do? And Jesus said, oh, have you? He goes, yeah, I have. He goes, okay, well, Give everything you have to the poor. And what does he do? He checks out. Turns around and he walks away. It stems from a misunderstanding that you have something to live up to, that you're going to be able to achieve a certain level. And it's a misunderstanding of grace. And when you do that, you rob from the cross. You say it wasn't as valuable. Because you think that he's just waiting for you to hit the mark. That he's just looking at you, and just rolling his eyes. And the third way, the third symptom that we can have, it's, it's the opposite of the first one. It's a bitterness, but it's a bitterness towards yourself. Now, this is exclusively for Christians. Here, when you go to prayer, you almost have this image of God, right? And he's just like this disappointed dad, like, I shouldn't have made you, right? Like, I hope you're at my funeral so you can let me down one more time kind of way, Right? It's, that, it's that, kind of, that kind of image that God is just upset and angry with me all the time, and if I could just be better, then maybe he would love me. I've got this six-year-old, and anytime he drops something or breaks something, he just can't accept forgiveness, at least for like 20 minutes. I'm sorry. You're mad at me. No, I'm not mad at you. It's okay. No, you're not. You're mad at me. I'm sorry. No, no, I, it's okay, really. No, you're not. And, uh, and he'll do this fit. And I'm like, man, it's okay, it's okay. But here we have a misunderstanding that our lives were letting God down. But that comes from the misunderstanding that you were ever holding him up. Because you can't. You're not strong enough. None of us are. And so we live this life burdened by sin unnecessarily. It's like trying to dig up an old car loan and pay more on it. And the bank's like, no, Mr. Carter, you've paid. No, 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 I owe you more money. Please, please, no, you don't understand. The car's in the driveway. It looks great. Here's another check. No, seriously, take it back. It's paid off. It's the same concept. We do that. Lastly, it's the way we forgive other people. Think about that. Now, sometimes we have stipulations on our forgiveness, well, I'll, I'll forgive him when he shows that he's sorry. I'll, I'll forgive him when he's put in the work. Or if if he looks sorry enough, then yeah, 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 I'll, I'll forgive him. Thank God that he isn't like that, right? His son died before you even did your thing. His sacrifice was great enough to cover all of those things ten times over. But yet... Sometimes we struggle with it. Oftentimes we struggle with it. So I'm standing here, I'm telling you that you don't have to feel guilty for sin. So the first instance that pops to my mind is like, oh gosh, everybody's gonna go out sinning like crazy now, right? They're gonna run around and do whatever they want because they know they're feeling guilt-free. But Paul actually lays out the argument beautifully in the next few chapters. You see, in chapter six, he's got all this verbiage He says, uh, For we know the old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. He's talking about baptism now. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. In the next chapter, or I'm sorry, in the next verse, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. In the next verse, do not offer any part of yourself. So Paul's saying, don't be a willing participant in sin because you were baptized. Your flesh, you were dead to that flesh. It might be living, but that's a dead man. That's a dead woman. That's not you anymore. People often forget that eternity starts when you've been baptized, You're living in eternity now as a Christ follower. The only difference between now and then is you can't convert people once you're up there. You can't tell people about the good news once you're up there. It's already done. But here on earth, you've already started. See, in in chapter 7, Paul says... For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep doing. That's kind of a tongue twister. He goes, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin that's living in me. So Paul highlights there's this condition about our flesh that prompts us to sin, and it's going to. But Paul says, as a believer, that's not lo- no longer you. And I think the devil tries to come in and he says, no, you're no good. Think about the things you do. Think about the things you've done. No, you're no good. Matt Chandler says at the best in Texas, he says, that guy's dead. You buried that guy. He don't live here anymore. You tell a devil, go dig up the dead guy, because that's not you. And that's the beauty of it, right? That's the power of it, because we are so forgiven. I believe her name was Josie that read, right? As far as from the east as from the west. Have you ever thought about that measurement? Think about it. You start walking east, are you ever going to hit west? No. You can north to south all day long, right? We can measure that. But if you start walking east, you're always going to walk east. If you start walking west, you're always going to walk west. He's very specific with his wording there. The psalmist is. That's how forgiven you guys are. That's how forgiven I am. And the beauty is it has power. See, it has power to change the way we pray. I'm no longer praying to a God that's disappointed in me. I'm no longer praying to a God that I let down all week. I'm praying to a gracious God victorious king that loves me like his own son that's powerful because that power changes the way I can worship I'm no longer singing to a guy that I keep letting down I'm no longer singing to this manager who keeps giving me these tasks that I can't live up to I'm singing to my dad my dad who loves me who's given up everything for me when we grab grace we understand that sacrifice that's what it can do it's powerful I've got friends who have aborted babies. I've got friends who have abused their children in drunken rampages, and it haunts them. They can't forgive themselves. I've got a friend who's been unfaithful, believes they're outside of grace. Nonsense. You're not that good at sinning. You can't out-sin grace. But that's what Paul's trying to get you guys to understand, to get us to understand. Before you get any farther, understand that you can now live in peace with God. That's a beautiful thing. A thing that we take for granted. A thing that we don't always appreciate. It has the power for us to forgive. Think about that for a moment. I'll make sure I'm not running long. Think about that for a moment. What would the world look like if just the churches alone extended forgiveness the way Jesus did? How might things be different? How might people look at us if we just forgave willingly? See, because that's not easy to do. Forgiveness is tough. For me personally, I'm actually pretty forgiving when it's me that's been harmed. But when it's a loved one that's been harmed, then I'm a little bit more bitter. Right? Because then because that that's 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 somebody that I care about that you hurt. And that's not always easy to forgive. But this problem is has always been a problem. Think about the Old Testament story of Jonah. Asked to go to Nineveh. He did not want to go because he knew that God was gracious. That's what we find out in the end, right? I knew you were going to forgive him. This is why I didn't want to go, God. And God's like, is it, is it your right to be mad? See, God's trying to teach him, I forgive you over and over and over again. Do you have a right to be angry about something? And those people in Nineveh were terrible people, and God forgave them. They repented, and they, they did a 180. Sure they're still going to have problems, but God forgave them willingly. Think about the New Testament, right? In that, in that passage, that parable about the uh, what is it, the unmerciful servant, where this guy has accrued a bunch of debt. And when I say a bunch of debt, I'm talking, I believe the measurement is like 10,000 lifetimes worth of debt. It's several millions of dollars is what it would be today. And the master forgives him. And then he goes out, and he's got a guy that owes him money, and the equivalent would be like six months worth of wages. Very small in comparison, and he doesn't forgive him. Right? And the master tells him that, If you can't forgive, then why should I forgive you? You see, this parable is to teach us, to show us that there's nothing that you can do to me that will come close to the amount of forgiveness that God has given. Your sin to me is is by by far minimal in comparison to our sin to God and how we disrespect and how we go another way and how we fight against God's will. You guys... We now have peace with God. And, that, and, that, and I can't get over that. I was in my Bible study about a month ago, and I've been studying solely through the book of Romans. And I read straight through that passage, but I thought peace with God was kind of a rare passage, so I circled it, but that was it. And then about two chapters later, something clicked, and I went back to it, and it was, it was underlined. And, and I just sat there, and I thought about it. And I immediately thought about my prayer life and how I view God. And every time I think about God, I think about him as this just, just disappointed God. But I don't have to think about him like that anymore. Because I can live in peace with God. We're going to play a song here in a second. Because I believe that at some level or another, we all suffer from this. Maybe we don't have problems with forgiveness. Maybe we have problems with accepting forgiveness. Maybe there's some guilt in your life. Maybe there's something <clears throat> something that's weighing you down that you haven't given up, that you haven't let Jesus' blood wash over yet. As this song plays, I want you to think about that and just let Jesus take it from you. Maybe there's somebody that's really hurt you, said something really mean give it away why hold on to it But Guys, Galatians 5 1 says, For it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So no longer be burdened by a yoke of slavery. You guys are free. You have a peace with God that people could only dream about thousands of years ago. If you guys don't mind, bow with me as I close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so good far more than I deserve. Uh,
2: We recently bought a house, and I think, actually, last time I gave communion, I was telling stories about the house, so I'm just going to keep milking that for as long as possible. But uh, um, one day I was doing yard work, and we have a neighbor who's lived across the street since like the 70s and he was like hey Kyle you got a minute to visit and I'm like yes because it was like 150 degrees that day and so we just went over and started visiting about the house and he started telling me all these stories about people who've lived there before and I guess a really long time ago uh, there was a guy who wanted to have this pecan orchard and uh, it's like seven and a half acres now. I don't know what it was back in the day, but he planted a whole bunch of pecan trees and the plan was to have this big, beautiful pecan orchard. And he's got all these saplings out there on the property, but then uh, weeds and grass and stuff starts to come up and he's got another idea. Uh, I will get about 30 goats to get out there and take care of the property. Um, and I'm not really a farm kid, but I do know that goats will eat just about anything, and they started to cut down on the grass and the weeds, but then they also started to cut down the trees as well, Uh, like uh, eating leaves off them, I guess, and trees need leaves uh, in order to breathe, and the... So he had this big plan for a beautiful pecan orchard, and now there are some pecan trees, which is nice, but not to the scale that it could have been if he just would have, I guess, not tried to take this shortcut with the goats and come up with his own plan for how he wanted to take care of things. And I was like, oh, that's a cool story. And then I went back to work. And then i had this communion coming up and i'm like i don't know what i'm going to talk about and my wife's like why don't you tell that pecan tree story i'm like yes and i wonder how many times has god been planting a pecan orchard and i'm like you know what would really help this if i just got some goats and if i if they could just take care of things um But when my own plans and my own shortcuts and how I would do things just sort of interferes, and that's not to say that some of the plan won't happen. I mean, there are pecan trees, but not like it could have been. And I'm like, how many times in my life have I ruined something that could have been really great because I just couldn't be patient and I couldn't get out there with the mower or the weed eater, and instead I'm like, "I, I know how I'll take care of this, and I've ruined it. And so, as we take communion, let's remember what Jesus did for us. He gave his blood and body to save our souls, and we can trust him with that. Why don't we trust him to know what he's doing with the pecan orchards in our life and maybe not go out and get ourselves a herd of goats to kind of help it along? Uh, will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together. Uh, we thank you for the sacrifice that you gave uh, so that we could spend eternity with you. Um, we pray that you would help us to remember during this time what it was that you did for us. And again, we're so grateful for, for everything you've done so we could be with you. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.